0: Well, good morning everyone. I'm Dennis, one of the pastors here. Why don't you go ahead and make your way back towards your seats. Over the uh, past few months, I've started to feel a kind of discontentment in my faith. Like I spent so many years of my life as a follower of Jesus focused primarily on theology and doctrine. So many years in the Bible trying to deduce the correct ways of thinking and believing that I thought I needed to know, and that I needed to know in order to be able to follow Jesus and to be able to teach the people that I was leading. But over the past few months in particular, I've felt this deep craving for more of Jesus, not more doctrine not more theology don't get me wrong I believe doctrine and theology matter but I don't know maybe it's just my experience but I know so many people who identify as Christians and who know and believe the right things but whose lives still don't reflect Jesus and to be honest There are so many days when I feel like one of those people who hopefully knows and believes what is good and right, and yet a person whose life just doesn't look like and reflect Jesus the way that I want it to. Paul warns of this in 1 Corinthians when he writes about how if we don't have love, We become resounding gongs and clanging cymbals. Doctrine and theology, in and of themselves, as important as they are, don't produce patience or kindness in us. They don't engender humility or love, forgiveness or vulnerability, selflessness or hopefulness. Doctrine and theology don't build these things into us. Jesus does. But how do we actually become like Jesus so we can do what Jesus did? How do we translate what we might know about Jesus into a way of living and being that emulates Jesus' life? We practice it. Because what we practice shapes how we live and love. This week, we're continuing our study of the book of Acts. We're in chapter 13. The passage begins. Now, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And to be honest, this is the conversation I wanted to have today. Weeks ago when Pastor Shaq and I were planning out our teaching calendar, I asked him if I could teach this week. I had envisioned reading the first three verses of chapter 13 and then coming back to this one verse and then spending our entire conversation focused right here because it's here that Luke highlights two types of diversity that the church in Antioch valued and that I believe we need to value as well. In just this group of five leaders, we see that the Antioch church valued a diversity of spiritual gifts and a diversity of ethnicity in its leadership and church community. Luke mentions two specific spiritual giftings, prophet and teacher. It's actually foundational work Paul will build from in Ephesians where he identifies five spiritual gifts that need to be present and empowered and valued in order for a church to be healthy. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, and teacher. And then Luke describes the ethnic diversity of the church in Antioch. Barnabas is from Cyprus. Simeon and Lucius are both from northern Africa. Menaean is an Asian-Palestinian, and Saul is a Hebraic Jew from Jerusalem. The church in Antioch foreshadows the eternal church described in Revelation 7, where people of all nations and tribes, all races and languages are gathered at Jesus' throne. The church in Antioch knew that building a community of people of different ethnic and racial backgrounds joined together as one spiritual family, all seen, all known, honored, and valued, that it was an effective witness to a polarized and segregated culture of just how powerful the gospel is. And church, that's what I wanted to focus our conversation on this morning. But as I read and studied and prayed something else in the passage started to take hold of me and it's in verses two and three they read while they these five leaders of the church in Antioch while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting the Holy Spirit said set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them so after they had fasted and prayed they placed their hands on them And sent them off. That thing I felt drawn to that started to fill my imagination and stir in my heart. Fasting. And while at first I didn't understand what Jesus wanted to speak into me and maybe into all of us. I think after a week of sitting with it. I have some sense of it now. Fasting is a practice we are meant to engage regularly that makes us more like Jesus. Fasting is a practice we are meant to engage regularly. And when we do, it will make us more like Jesus. And isn't that what we want Most, I mean, it's increasingly what I want most. Many of you know that a few years ago, I started coaching youth soccer as part of our neighborhood league. Specifically, I've coached my son Joel and his team for four seasons now. And the longer I've coached, the more I've come to enjoy this beautiful game. I've spent hours late at night watching coaching videos and researching skill development drills. I've come to understand various formations and playing strategies, what it means to make a run or build out of the back. I've learned that the central defender is called a center back, and the rightmost defender is called a right fullback. And as I've acquired more and better information and tactical knowledge, I've really enjoyed sitting down with my team and showing them on a whiteboard their positions and how we want to move the ball up the field, how we want to dribble when we have space and pass when we don't and how we want to move into open spaces and how we want to shift our positions depending on which side of the field the ball is on. I've enjoyed teaching them like an axiom of soccer that open space favors offenses and tight spaces favor defenses. But what I experience so profoundly with my team is that all my whiteboarding and teaching will ultimately be fruitless if we don't actually get out on the pitch and practice with our bodies. My team needs regular Practice and skill development in order to play the game well. Just like we can gain all of the right theological and doctrinal knowledge and not know how to play the game well, my team can learn all of the tactical knowledge and not be able to play the game well if we don't practice with our bodies. And church, we need to engage spiritual practices in order to live our faith well. Which brings us back to fasting. Because fasting is a practice that makes us more like Jesus. If we go back to verse 2, we find Barnabas, Simeon, Lucius, Manaen, and Saul worshiping the Lord and fasting. Their fasting was a part of their worship. It wasn't an activity they engaged only when they needed an answer to a specific prayer or when they needed God to show up in some big way. It wasn't something that they only did once every few years. In fact, according to the Didache, which is a collection of the early church's teachings, They would have fasted twice a week on both Wednesdays and Fridays. They'd eat a meal the night before, and then they'd forego breakfast and lunch the next day, breaking their fast with a late dinner. They did this every week. And they did it because they saw Jesus do it. In the Gospel of Matthew, immediately after Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist, he's led, Matthew tells us, By the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting forty days and forty nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. It's here, before Jesus even begins his public ministry, that we see him engage the practice of fasting. And through his fast, when logic would tell us he would be at his weakest and most susceptible to temptation, we see Jesus defeat Satan in the desert. A foreshadowing of Jesus' ultimate defeat of Satan through his death and resurrection. But it's also here that Jesus speaks something the church in Antioch knew. We don't live on bread alone. Instead, we live and are sustained, nourished, and empowered by God. Church, there's other stories of Jesus fasting in the Gospels. There's a story in the Gospel of John where Jesus meets a woman at a well, and he engages her in conversation. The disciples have gone off into town to purchase food, and Jesus asks the woman if he can have a drink of water. What he was likely doing in that story was fasting. The disciples were likely off buying food that they would use for their dinner that night when they break their fast. The church in Antioch knew that fasting isn't just abstaining from food for a period of time. They knew that fasting is actually feasting. Dallas Willard writes this, Fasting confirms our utter dependence upon God by finding in him a source of sustenance beyond food. Through it, we learn by experience that God's word to us is a life substance, that it is not food, bread alone that gives life, but also the words that proceed from the mouth of God. Fasting unto our Lord is therefore feasting, feasting on him and doing his will. Fasting church isn't just abstaining from food. It's feasting on God's character, power, provision, and words. It's feasting on his goodness and faithfulness to sustain us in the midst of our fast. It's in this story in Acts 13 that the Spirit speaks to the leaders of the church in Antioch. The spirit says to them, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. While they were worshiping and fasting, the spirit speaks to them. The Antioch church's mission to the ends of the earth doesn't originate inside of them. It isn't some great idea they had first. And then they decided to fast and pray as a means of trying to confirm their great idea. It's not their idea to send two of their most prominent leaders to faraway cities to plant churches. It's the Spirit's idea. And they hear the Spirit's idea in the midst of fasting. That in the midst of a regular practice that they engage as a community... They hear the Spirit. Church, through fasting, Jesus builds into us greater depths of dependence and humility, new ways of living and being, and an increased commitment to his mission. Now, that was a long sentence, and I think it's meaningful, so I'm going to say it again. When we fast... Jesus can build into us greater depths of dependence and humility, new ways of living and being, and an increased passion for his mission. And it's worth mentioning here, fasting isn't asceticism. We're not setting out to inflict severe punishment on our bodies because our bodies are evil. This is where the monastics back in the medieval times got it wrong. Our bodies are good gifts from God and we need to care for and nurture our bodies. But I think where the monastics got it wrong by turning fasting into asceticism, I think we can get it wrong today by taking our culture's value for self-care and turning it into a reason to never deny our cravings or desires. Our culture today tells us that the way that we care best for our bodies is giving them whatever they want, whenever they want it, to satisfy or satiate every one of our cravings. When we fast, we aren't setting out to punish our bodies. Our bodies are good gifts from God. When we fast, we're positioning ourselves to feast on God's goodness and fullness. And when we fast, we're growing in self-control, which we know is a fruit of the Spirit. Because when we fast, we learn to put to death what Paul refers to in his letters as the flesh. In Romans 8, Paul writes, Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh, to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. And then again in Galatians, Paul writes, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, Love your neighbor as yourself. It's important to mention that when Paul writes about the flesh, What he means are our disordered desires, our animalistic cravings, and our sinful passions. Throughout his letters, especially in Romans 7, Paul makes it clear that there is a battle within us between the desires of our flesh and the Spirit of Jesus. We feel this pull to gratify our desires and passions apart from God, and separated from his ways. Lust, for example, is a disordered desire. I was raised in the Catholic Church, which teaches that sexual desire is part of God's good plan for humanity. But when sexual desire is separated from God's design for love, it becomes disordered and self-seeking According to the Catholic Catechism, lust is a disordered desire for or inordinate enjoyment of sexual pleasure. Sexual pleasure is morally disordered when sought for itself and when it values the feeling one gets from sex over the person one loves in sex. We want to feel the physical pleasure that comes with sexual gratification, and so we give in to our lust and seek out sex separated from a loving, committed relationship. My point is this. We most effectively fight against the disordered desires and sinful passions of our flesh by engaging spiritual practices, like fasting. Fasting because it's spiritual practices like fasting that open us up to the work of the Spirit and Jesus in new, powerful, and transformative ways. If we go back to Galatians 5, Jesus didn't call us to be free so we could gratify our disordered desires and then count on God's grace to forgive us. Jesus offered us freedom so that we can choose what is good So we can stop being slaves to our flesh and experience the kind of liberation that leads to loving our neighbors as ourselves. And we best position ourselves to experience this kind of liberation when we do the work of crucifying our flesh, our disordered desires. And one of the best practices we can engage in order to crucify our flesh so the spirit has more space and capacity to lead, work, transform, and empower us. Is fasting. Church, I can't tell you the number of times throughout my pastoral life where I've had conversations with people who will say that they don't hear the spirit that they can't sense the Spirit, that they're not hearing the voice of God. And one of the things that I've come to learn, to use this analogy that that Paul builds out about this war within us between the flesh and the Spirit, is that when we live lives where we are constantly gratifying the... Sinful passions or disordered desires or animalistic cravings of our bodies. When we're just always giving in to what our body wants in a moment. We're creating more space for the flesh. We're feeding the flesh. But it's when we do the work of building self-control. When we do the work of crucifying our flesh, we actually create more space in our being for the spirit. We create more space to be able to hear the spirit, to be led by the spirit, to be guided by the spirit. There's almost an inverse relationship here. The more we crucify our flesh, the more we get to experience the Spirit, and the more that we just satisfy our fleshly desires, the less we'll be able to hear the Spirit. Richard Foster, in his book, Celebration of Discipline, he writes that more than any other discipline, fasting reveals the things that control us. This is a wonderful benefit to the true disciple who longs to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. We cover up what is inside us with food and other good things, but in fasting, these things surface. If pride controls us, it will be revealed almost immediately. Church, I want to become more like Jesus so I can do more of what Jesus did. I want to grow in self-control and experience the kind of freedom that enables me to more fully love my neighbor. I want to put my flesh to death and create more space for the spirit of Jesus to move and work and transform and empower me. And I believe the same is true for you. I believe this is what we, together, as a community, desire. And so I want to end by extending an invitation. This past Friday, I practiced fasting for the first time in roughly two and a half years. It wasn't the most glorious experience I've had in my life. I did not immediately feel like I gained access to great power. I did not feel like I was walking on the tops of clouds seeing the face of Jesus. In fact, by about 3 p.m. I was hungry, and I had a headache, and I really wanted coffee. And after school, when my kids came home and started asking for snacks, I was really grumpy. But throughout the day, my thoughts did continually return to Jesus. I'd entered into fasting, not because I needed an answer to something, but because I just wanted more of Jesus. And so when I felt hungry or when I craved coffee, my thoughts returned to him. I reminded myself I'm more than my cravings. I can, I can survive a day with and on Jesus. I kept thinking about how Jesus' grace and presence are sufficient for me. I kept thinking about how as I learned to practice self-control more and more through fasting... I'll begin to know Jesus more and experience more of him that the spirit will be able to lead and guide me in new and different and deeper ways. So this Wednesday, Pastor Shaq and I are inviting you to join us as we fast. Everyone who joins us We'll eat dinner Tuesday night and then we'll forego breakfast and lunch on Wednesday. Please, only fast from food if it's a physically wise thing for you to do. I know there are people in our community who cannot fast due to health and medical reasons. If that's you, participate by abstaining from something else you rely or depend on. We'll send more information out this week as we prepare to fast, each individually, but also as a dispersed and spread out family all across the city. And, church, I don't know if God will show up. He might not. I don't know how God's going to lead, guide, speak, or direct us. He might not. But we don't do this, we don't engage this practice as a means of bargaining with God. We don't fast so he will show up. We don't fast so that he will lead, guide, speak, and direct us. We fast because we want to become more like him. We fast because we want to know him more deeply. We fast because we love him. Because we love him and want to spend more time with him to learn his ways. I'm hopeful that as we, like the early church, begin practicing fasting, we'll also experience the spirit of Jesus more, and in new and transformative ways, that there may come a day where in the midst of our regular practice of fasting and praying, we hear the spirit, Invite us into some new mission and adventure that could transform not just our lives, but our neighborhood. I believe Jesus wants to do that work. Church, let's pray together. Father, thank you for this story in Acts. Thank you for Luke. Capturing and recording it so that we could read it and talk about it. Father, would you be at work in us to fast, to pray, to engage practices that you yourself engaged. Because we want to be more like you, Jesus. Father, we love you.